Hey everybody, David here. This is Andrea. And we are back at it again. Welcome to another episode of The Text Lab. This is where we want to do a deep dive into the text to help you lead your life group this week. So our goal is to really just help you make disciples who make disciples. And so whether you're leading the life group or just doing some deep diving on your own, we really want this to prep you uh, for conversations, meaningful conversations about what God has said to us in his word. So this week we're in John 7, 25 through 52, which is that's a lot of verses, Andrea. Yeah, 27 verses. Whoa. So the podcast would be over probably by the time we got done reading it. So we're not going to read it this morning, but why don't we talk a little bit about just where we're at in the narrative? Yeah. So where we're at here, it's been two years since chapter five. Jesus was healing the paralyzed man in chapter five. Six months. It's been about six months since chapter yeah. six. And it'll be another six months or so before Jesus goes to the cross. So that mm. kind of orients you to the action that's happening here and what's what's coming. Yeah. Uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's walked on the water. Mm -hmm. He said those I am the bread of life statements. People Mm -hmm. kind of freaked out and deserted him. Big deal, I am statements in the book of John. Right, and he's just got his 12 around him there. Um, And then we've got his brothers who are like, we're ready to make you famous and go along with you and let's, let's get this taken care of. Jesus isn't interested in that, but he does show up at the Feast of Booths anyway and begins talking about God's glory. And that's where we were last week. Mm. He's talking about God's glory, about where he gets his authority. And now this week, Jesus continues at the Feast of the Booze, um, making more statements yeah. about who he is. And let's find out what happens. And this is kind of a, this chapter is a big question, a big game of 20 questions, really, is yeah. what this is. It's like question after question of who is Jesus and the wrestling with where did he come from? What's his background? Still the education questions, really just trying to figure him out. And there's all these different questions that'll come up in this chapter. The authorities, have they really concluded that this is Jesus? When the Messiah comes, will he do more than what Jesus is doing? Where is he going to go? Is he going to go to the Greeks? And is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Um, How can he come from Galilee? That's not what they were expecting. And so there's kind of all these questions that are floating around and people really just trying to figure out who is Jesus. Right. It's like people have this great big question, kind of like if you're watching The Masked Singer. That's your favorite show? Never actually seen it before, but people tell me that, you know, this could you be like that. You don't need to watch it. So, or there's a movie from a really long time ago yeah. called Memento that plays mm. forward and backwards. And all of the along the way, as you're watching, you're like, what is going on? Yep. And this man has lost his memory. He's trying to figure it out. That's what I imagine is going yep. on here. People yep. are just like, who is this guy? Right. They keep asking these questions. And I think that's a important piece to notice in the text, the repetition of these questions. Like if you're reading this through um, closely, which we really hope you are, and kind of highlighting things, circling things, circle things that are repeated multiple times, you'll just notice over and over again, question after question after question. And that's a something John is doing very intentionally in this chapter because he's really trying to show us the main point of the text. He's trying to show us the main point of chapter seven, really the main point of the whole book of John, who is Jesus answering that question and how will we respond to Jesus? What does Jesus have to offer and what, and how will we respond to that? So I think noticing that repetition, repetition that John is showing these questions because he's trying to help us understand the point he's trying to make is who is Jesus? What is his identity? Absolutely. And I think that question from the very beginning has caused division, right? Mm. We see it causing division today. Now, like some people, they wanted to seize him and kill him. And so this chapter kind of is foreshadowing the cross. But then there were some people who believed, and I think that's really interesting because it kind of shows a progression of Mm. people 
coming back around, asking yeah. more questions, getting yep. to know who Jesus is. And then some just weren't sure. Yeah, totally. Trying to figure it out. Totally. And let me put a life group question for discussion in here of like, maybe which question that people are asking do you even resonate with? Mm. That's kind of a personal question, just kind of something to kind of get the conversation going in your life group. But as you see all these people asking questions, are there questions that you resonate with or even what questions have you held previously in your life about who Jesus is? Even what are the questions you may still wrestle with now about who Jesus is, even as you believe in him? Um, I think that'd be a great question as we see that happening in the text. No one's excluded from that. Everybody's wrestling with that question. Um, And the beautiful thing about that, the significant thing about that is that every single person at some point in their life has to make a decision about what they believe about the person of Jesus Christ. No one is excluded from that. Whether you are rich and famous, whether you are poor, whether you come from the East or the West or wherever you live, every single person that's ever lived has had to answer the question of what they think about the person of Jesus Christ. And that's so intentional here in the book of John that no one escapes from having to wrestle with that question. And ultimately, that's the question of salvation. How will you respond to Jesus? C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, and he talks about the response that everyone must make about whether they believe Jesus is Lord, whether they believe he's lying because he's telling people to believe in them, or whether they think he's just insane, that he's a lunatic, which he doesn't really act like an insane person acts. He's very loving and compassionate and intentional and direct in his life. But everyone has to answer that question, who is Jesus and respond to that yeah so again like with the the crowd here you see people just making a break for it making a decision and being really on board with who Mm -hmm. jesus is or just kind of in entrenched in Mm -hmm. their own thinking and Mm -hmm. and thought and wanting to continue their own way yeah there's a real intentionality john brings this text about the different responses of everyone, the crowds, even sometimes they're acting different now. I think we saw in chapter six that people were abandoning Jesus and that was the main point. They're just abandoning him, leaving him, leaving him. And now they're not quite sure. There's some that seem to be really close to believing in Jesus. Some that are um, very confused and even further than believing in him. But I think in the midst of all of that, we really see this divine sovereignty of Jesus being played out throughout the book of John, which is just such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful thing to see that no matter what response people have to Jesus, Jesus is unmoved in his mission, in his focus, in his clarity about what God has called him to. There's really this divine plan that's going that you really get this sense that he's carrying out a mission that God has set out for him. Um, And people are going to have their plans, but God has his plan and Jesus shows us that. Totally. I even think about the Pharisees here. Like they might even be thinking, oh, we're going to get our way or we've got this big plan yeah. all the while. They're playing yep. into this bigger yep. narrative that God is writing yep. through through who Jesus is. Okay. Life group discussion question here. When has it been a time that you've seen God's divine sovereignty on display in your life, in the life of someone else? Great Just when have you seen kind of no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation is, God was doing something. Mm-hmm. He had a plan. And when have you seen that on display? Maybe in your life in a way that you think of or maybe in someone else's life. Um, Because I think that's a big theme we see here about the kingdom of God. Jesus is about the kingdom and he invites people into it. But you know what is amazing to me? He's not overly concerned 
with answering their questions. Right. They bring up like, where does Jesus come from? Yeah. He's not handing them his passport or his Google birth Maps. certificate. He's not going <laughs> to grab his mama and saying, hey, where was I born? Right. Um, he, he doesn't even answer that. Yeah. He's got a totally different <clears throat> agenda for these people. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's answering a much bigger question. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But. And and I think that bigger question, if we can get into it right now, is that it's a heart problem that yeah. they have. You know, they, they primarily don't have a theology problem or this kind of ideological problem. I think Jesus feels like I've provided enough proof for you. Yeah. Right? And like They even say that. There are some people who are like, who yeah. else but the Messiah could mm. do all of these things? And so yep. there are plenty of people who see what Jesus has done and have right. listened to him and they get it. And then there are the people who are so entrenched yeah. in their own thoughts about what yep. religion is supposed to be. And this right. new kid on the block right. is a competition totally. for them, right? Which like, is a, Yeah, which is, again, Jesus going to the heart. Yeah. We saw that with the woman at the well. We saw that with Nicodemus. We saw that even last week when Jesus is getting to their heart about you don't have God's will in mind. You have your will. Um, and, and just that they, they don't have primarily a problem of not enough evidence, but it's really now a question of will you believe? Yeah. Will you respond to Jesus and will you actually place your faith and trust in him? And they don't just need one more answer to their questions, but it seems like they're kind of trying to blame their lack of belief on lack of evidence. You know, which is something I love blaming things on other people because I'm really good at that. Yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> totally. It's like, sweet, I'm off the hook because if I can blame anybody else in my life right. rather than me, I don't have to actually take responsibility. I don't have to change. That. I get to hang on to my own sense of pride. Totally. You know, and I think we really see that with the religious leaders here, right? They're mm. grabbing the police and yeah. sending them the soldiers in to go and arrest Jesus. And even those m- men are like we were listening to this guy and we can't even pick him up. Like yeah. this, what you're trying to ask us to do isn't making sense. And so these religious leaders, you see them just really entrenched in their mm. thought processes and trying to ask questions. They're almost too caught up in their own mind yep. for their heart to get them yeah. across the finish line. Yeah, that's a great point. Let me throw another life group discussion question out there of when was a time pride has kept you or someone else from seeing God's work. That kind of ties in a little bit to last week, but you see it here again in their resistance, their refusal to believe in Jesus, their desire to arrest him. Um, It's their pride. It's their identity, their status that's being threatened by Jesus. And so, man, when has pride been in the way of being a part of God's work, of accepting Jesus, of following him um, in your own life, moments that that's happened. Gosh, that happens to me just about every single day when my pride gets in the way of surrendering my heart to Christ um, or in someone else's life that maybe has refused to even come to believe in Jesus. How, how can that really play a part in that? And then Nicodemus pops back up though. Right. And so I think Nicodemus is a great example of what it looks like to ask the questions and maybe even can give us some compassion for these religious leaders because he's like, I can only come at night Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to speak up and they're going to silence me Mm. because that's what happens here. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus asks them a question from their own law and is trying to make a point and and even the religious leaders have enough pride to be like, eh, we're not going to listen to this guy using the thing we're trying to use against Jesus to convict us. So just... It is a big deal for them to let go of their status, and yet the cost of not letting go is massive, right? Totally. And gosh, I hope Nicodemus believes. Scripture kind of leaves that open-ended. We see Nicodemus in another place in the Gospels um, after Jesus has died, caring for Jesus' body, but like 
it, there's it's kind of unclear of like did Nicodemus fully believe and become a disciple or was he did he kind of go with this group that was wanting to kill Jesus and they're accusing him have you been deceived as well and so you see the real conflict, the real crisis that Jesus kind of brings up in everybody's life of how are you going to respond to this? Um, and, and what are you going to do with the person of Jesus? All of this is couched in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Right. Again, right? We've been talking big about this for a couple weeks. Big statement Jesus is making here. Yeah, big statement. So this big, big idea of the text, there's a lot, lot going on in this text, but the big idea of the text comes out when Jesus stands up um, and says, I am living water. Come and drink from me. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Helpful background to know. We've been talking about this over and over again in the, back, in the book of John. Know the background. But each day um, of the seven feasts, they would draw water from the well of Siloam. And at sunrise, these priests, they'd go to the well of Siloam. There they filled this golden vase with water and took it back to the temple. Okay, so imagine kind of this ritual happening. They're going, they're filling water. Then as they approach, this trumpet would sound. It would be this signal of joy for the people. And the priests would walk around the temple's altar um, with the this trumpet and singing happening. Okay, and so then towards the end of the feast, um, the water was sacrificed to God. And, and well, that actually happened daily, but towards the end of the feast, it would be this kind of prayer, an offering of water as a symbolic prayer for the rains in the next harvest season. Remember, this feast was all about the abundance and about the harvest and the um, good gift uh, that God had of provision that God had given to the people of Israel when they had left Exodus. And there's so much imagery in the fact that God had provided water for the people of Israel when they're wandering in the desert, um, mm-hmm. Moses and the rock and water and provision. And so, there's these water pictures and metaphors. Imagine just water being a big part of this feast. Sometimes yeah. when we hear the word feast, we just picture, I don't know, like apples and oranges and right. foods, dinner table, but like water was flowing and they would be dipping it in these vases, carrying it around, offering the water as a sacrifice. In the midst of that, Jesus says, come and drink. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Like I think of this like seven days of Thanksgiving in a tent um, yeah. and all that food that you ate one day, like they're just celebrating mm. the harvest. And then they're looking forward to what yeah. God is going to do in the coming year. Almost this sense of like, we expect you to show up yeah. and to provide for us. Mm. And I was reading a commentary that talked about how when Jesus gets up and he says, I am the living water. Mm. It's almost as if he's answering their prayer by saying all these things you're praying mm. for, I can fulfill them. Yeah. And that is just like, that's massive. It's, it can't be missed the mm. way that he's saying it mm. in the midst of what is going on in this feast, mm. which I think also points to some of this idea of why people were trying to kill him because yeah. blasphemy is a big deal. Yeah. So if he's not who he says right. he is, right. the entire nation right. is in trouble. Like we can't get behind this guy yeah. unless he really yeah. is the Messiah. Which is great. Sometimes we have to work a little bit extra hard to connect those dots between like Feast of the Tabernacles, water, and those connections. But they would have seen and all that. And they, they would, would have, have felt seen it. it. They were known experiencing it. it. They were yeah. this feast that had abundance of food and water all over the place. In the midst of that, Jesus stands up and says, I am living water. Exactly. It would have been this blasphemous statement um, and it would have been a call to either come and follow Jesus or not follow him. Yeah. Uh, that would have been very clear to them. We really have nothing to compare it to in our culture, mm. but they would have known 
for sure. Yeah. Gosh, I think so much application that comes out of that. Um, really, I mean, for me, this is the big idea of the text that Jesus says, come all who are thirsty, come and drink. That's said other places in scripture, right? We've already had the woman at the well. Um, that's being where there's more water imagery and living water being talked about there. Um, but I think there's just this invitation truly from Jesus. He says, come and drink and be satisfied. Um, out of your heart will flow living water. That's a statement, one, that Jesus is God, but also just a statement that, like, that's the only place where life is found. And this is what we're, t- we're talking about when we're talking about the good life in the book of John, that Jesus is saying, if you're searching for living water, if you're searching for water that will satisfy your soul, and he's not talking about, like, good, happy feelings here, right? Like, I, you get that, like, when you snuggle with a kitten, okay? <laughs> like, Jesus isn't talking about that. He's not talking about, like, this is going to feel good. This is going to be, like, a nice, warm, fuzzy experience. He's talking about a cross is what he's talking about. But he's talking about life, true life, abundant life, living water type of life that's truly only found in Jesus. And I just know how prone I am every day to not believe that at kind of the core of my heart. Like, there's just something in me, in my flesh and in my sin that says, I'm going to look for living water everywhere besides Jesus. And once I taste that all of that is empty and all of that is just dust and all of that doesn't satisfy your soul, then I'm going to come to Jesus. And I think the, the, the application for me is to just actually believe that Jesus is offering me living water. And I think the, the lie that Satan wants to tell us all the time is that there's living water other places and you go to those places and it's a desert and there is no living water. But to truly believe that every single day, um, which I think looks like actually just spending time with Jesus, alone with God, spending time with Jesus throughout the day with God, just continually though in your mind and heart going to him to find living water. What about for you? Application that comes out of this? Yeah, I think for me, I would go back to that whole idea of Jesus is never answering all of their questions. Mm. And yet he's super trustworthy. Yeah. Right? So, and for me, again, it's that place of like, I do have questions about my future, about my kids' future, about, you know, Mm. my parents getting older and all of these questions that life has to offer. And Jesus Mm. may not have a specific answer for any of that in the moment. Yeah. but I still can follow. Yeah. And he still says, life comes from me. Yep. And um, he is still that one that I can put my trust and my hope in every single day. Yeah. Um, and he's still going to be there and be available for that. So I think that for That's me is so probably good. like what pops out just yep. in this moment. So in your I, life groups, go ahead. I love how you said that. Jesus may not answer all your questions, but he's still trustworthy life group discussion question about that like what questions is jesus not answering in your life right now but how is he still trustworthy like what questions do you hold that he's not answering how is he still trustworthy in the midst of that and then also i think where are you drinking living water from jesus every single day how are you doing that what does that look like in your day today can i jump in with one more here one more go for it one more thing as i was reading this i thought how often are we ever surprised by something new about Jesus anymore? Mm. Like these people were shocked yeah. at his words. And I feel, feel like yeah. so often in my life I can be like, yeah, I've been walking at church, mm. maybe not always with Jesus, but for all of these years, we don't have to talk about how many. Yeah. But um, how, how often in my life am I ever surprised anymore? Yeah. Am I looking for something yeah. new? Yeah. So maybe this week, like let Jesus surprise you. Mm. See, see how he shows up yep. and refreshes himself in your life. That's great. That's great. So good. So good. 
Well, this is a little bit longer, but it's a big text. And so thank you for spending your time with us. Our promise to you is that we're always going to do our best to make this time valuable for you as the leader. If this helps you in any way, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, or whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know that you are one who is truly sent by God this week into your group, into your family, into your pray, watch communities, wherever God invites you to go and be the living proof of a loving God. Friends, we love you and we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.